Well, hey guys, welcome back to yet another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Uh, Here we may- are. Maybe, I imagine it would probably sound a little bit different today for people that are listening in. Yeah, it probably sounds hopefully way better. Probably way probably better. Probably way better. Because we yeah. are in a podcasting studio mm. because I am in Melbourne. And I'm here with my good friend, Hamish Hodder, who I, of course, do this podcast with every single week. And we are recording a video to this podcast as well. Yes, So, um, if you are someone that normally listens to our sweet voices on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or one of the other podcasts, wherever you get it, um, maybe try, go over to the YouTube version of the podcast this week and and you can look at our pretty faces as well. (laughs) I I tell you what, I am glad that you remembered to say that because I would not have remembered to remind people to go over to the YouTube version and watch the video version. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well... I remembered. I remembered. Um, And fingers crossed this is all working well. Bit Mm. of a different system, but it looks like all of our audio is is good. Mm. And I'm going to lump you with the task of editing all this together later on. (laughs) As always. It's it's always me. Why why is it me, guys? (laughs) Well, I tell you why it's always you. It's always you because I'm coming down to Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you need to come to Canberra mm. and then I'll be the one editing it. Yeah, which so. one's more effort? The few hours of editing or the, whatever, 12-hour drive? No, that's you... eight. Eight-hour drive. Eight hours, really? Yeah. Wow. Well, it's actually like seven hours, but I had right. to charge along the way for a couple, right. like an hour or two, so... What do you mean you had to charge? Yeah, it's what so you... weird. We need to charge what? what charge a Tesla. Charge You have a Tesla? I have what? a Tesla, dude. Uh, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't fill up my car. I charge my car. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, all right, well, let's get stuck in it. What are we going to talk about today? There's actually not too much going on. Yeah, we don't have um, too many news stories. We we're, were sitting here for a little while looking for some things to talk about, but we've got a lot of questions to answer. So, in terms of news stories, we have some uh, inf- uh, some some news stories on NFTs. Uh, the US Fed uh, had some news come out about that, and the NASDAQ was down big last night. I don't know if you mm. took a look at your portfolio, but... No. Oh, <laughs> not that I have really anything just facebook stock i guess it's oh, the right. only nasdaq but yeah ouch it took a took a bit of a beating yeah oh, we'll have to i don't want to talk about that but we'll have to i guess <laughs> yeah no but we've got a lot of questions i asked i reached out on facebook to see i'm oh, not on facebook on youtube uh to see if <laughs> <laughs> to see if anyone had any questions they wanted to ask us or topics they wanted us to discuss uh so we've got a lot of questions to go through so we'll probably awesome. just uh, use that as a a bounce off to to talk about some topics today Nice. All right. Well, let's get stuck into it. You want to do the sponsor? Yeah. Okay. So today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite and ShareSite is an application that I've personally been using over the past few years in order to track the performance of my stock portfolio. And it's really good for keeping track of all of the different types of gains you experience as an investor. So capital gains, dividends. If you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you are buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies. And then the main reason why I use it, why is it Brandon? When it comes to tax time. Correct. (laughs) When it comes to tax time, you can use it to easily work out things such as your capital gains, dividend income, and more. At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. That site's spelled S-I-G-H-T, ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. And if you use that link, you can also get four months free when you sign up to a yearly subscription. I should have that memorized by now, but I don't. Oh, it's close though. I reckon you're you're pretty good on it. Mm. Um, It is funny watching you say that when we're live. Uh, You try to animate your face. And get all excited about it <laughs> oh dear no but we we are we are very happy of course to have mm. ShareSite on as a sponsor 
um, because their platform is actually pretty damn useful. Mm. Um, so thank you, ShareSite, as always. Yeah, and if you are watching the video version of this, you can go just below and click the link. Click the link in the description. All right. These, man, they... <laughs> I feel way just more chill when we're oh, actually yeah. in person. This, this podcast will probably sound so much different to our normal ones too. Because yeah. I just feel so... It's it's so much easier because oh, we're just like... so easy. It's we, just talking to each other. Yeah. And we also... We're always fighting that one second delay yeah. when we're doing it uh, just, you know, looking at our computer screens, not even mm. looking at each other. So, it's actually... Yeah. I feel like it's going to flow much better. Yeah. Um, yeah. It you, We really... We rarely interrupt, interrupt each other when we're live. It's, yeah, it's true. very difficult to interrupt unless you just, I don't know, you're not looking. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly right. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a very different thing online. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's so hard dealing with that one second delay because it's like you're caught in a space between, have they finished talking? Do I start talking? Yeah. It's like, oh, no, not yet. Oh, so, yep. oh sorry, mate. Uh, keep going. Yeah. Oops, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So, uh, but anyway, what, what should we start talking about? Do you want to talk about NFTs? They have sure. been they have been taking the news, haven't they? Yeah. What's uh What's going on with NFTs? Well, tell me. to to tell you the truth, I'm not. I don't really know. <laughs> tell me, Brandon, expert of NFTs. expert. Yeah, well, I, I happen to own sixty nine point two million dollars in NFT assets. Wow. <laughs> really? Uh, at one asset. <laughs> no, we'll get to that in a second because that's the big news story. Um, but so you might have been hearing this this this. NFT acronym being thrown around recently uh, stands for non-fungible token. And when I heard this come up and people started making videos about it, I was like, oh, that's some economics term. I've got no, like that's some something to do with the Fed or something like that. Yeah, it's just like someone's doing something with the cash rate. Oh, Fugazi, Fugazi. Yeah, Fugazi, Fugazi. It's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a... <laughs> exactly right. Um, but it turns out the NFT is, is quite related to the blockchain and mm. it's related to... Um, assets as, as right. in like um, fi- as not physical digital assets but you know this table's an asset house is an asset you know gold is an asset some would argue bitcoin's an asset so let me tell you about it mm. and to understand what a non-fungible token is you have to break it down so what, what what does fungible mean and by the way I got this all from a YouTube video so I'm by no means an expert I'm just <laughs> basically relaying this information to you guys uh, so fungible means replaceable by another identical item. So it's mutually interchangeable. Hmm. So things that are fungible include things like gold or cash or even Bitcoin. It's things that are kind of like a currency, I hmm. suppose. Right. So um, it's kind of like, you know, if you had a $10 note and hmm. I gave you two $5 notes, I said, hey, can hmm. I have you 10 and I'll give you two fives? You're like, oh, yeah, it's fine. You know? Happily. Happily, yeah. Because we know what the value is. It's the same. It's it's interchangeable, that sort mm. of, that money. Did you come up with that example yourself? No, I got it off the YouTube video. <laughs> um, and um, so then we go to non-fungible. So non-fungible assets mm. are assets with unique characteristics that make it different from something else in the same asset class. Also from that YouTube video that I'm completely copying right now. Right. So it's kind of like a painting. So um, if, if, if I had a painting and I said, I'll give you my painting, you give me your painting. Mm. You go, oh, well, the paintings aren't, there's something different about, you know, I've got the Mona Lisa over here. You've got something you drew Photoshop in two minutes. You know? <laughs> so uh, there's something, there's a characteristic about it that gives, gives it some sort of value, which means right. one painting is different to the next kind of thing. It's unique in some way. It is unique in some way. Um, so 
actually, one interesting thing is property. Property is another example of uh, something that's non-fungible because right. while you know you say, oh, I've got a house, oh, I've got a house too, each property has its own set of unique characteristics, location, right. etc., which makes it uh, different in value. Interesting. So, yeah, all these things are non-fungible items, but the artwork and the houses and what we are just talking about are physical items, obviously, existing mm. in the real world. So what we're doing, these non-fungible tokens, we're taking that idea of something that is non-fungible and applying it digitally. So people still talk a lot about, um, you know, uh, artwork is something that's coming up a lot, people selling artwork. Mm. And it's like, it's essentially that idea of something non-fungible but existing digitally. And you could say, well, hang on. Okay, if, someone's, if someone sells a painting online or mm. someone sells a digital artwork online i mean what's to stop me from then looking that up on google images and taking a copy printing it out sticking it on my wall mm. and there's nothing stopping you from doing that but in the same way there's nothing stopping you from buying a print of the last supper and sticking it up on your wall kind mm. of thing so yeah, um, there's only one person that has the original painting done by that artist yeah, yeah and in the same way i guess you could apply the same thing to digital art mm. in that there's only one person who would have this particular token attached to the uh, piece of artwork, but other people, of course, could yeah, exactly. uh, copy it. So it's this bizarre thing that's happened recently where people are now able to sell, using the blockchain technology, they're able to sell legitimate original versions of their artwork. It's mainly being used for artwork. Um, and they're able to do it digitally. So you can have this, you know, I think you're, you're going to talk about the example of Jack Dorsey, but you can have, yes. some, yeah, you can have some form of original artwork in a digital format and you can be the one that has the original yes. and then everybody else has a copy. Right. Um, so that's, that's the way I understand it um, from the research that I did. Yeah. Um, and, and the Jack Dorsey thing is where I probably not, probably not, not the first time I heard about NFTs, but one of the first times I was like, oh, this is kind of strange and it, it, I started to actually look into it. So the Jack Dorsey thing, Jack Dorsey, of course, the, the uh, CEO and founder or still, yeah, is I he think, still the CEO? Yeah, I think so. Of Def Twitter. Yeah, of, of Twitter. Um, recently, and Square. And Square, yes. That's yeah. where I was getting a bit confused. Is he the CEO of both of those companies or is he... Jeez, I don't know. I don't know. Probably. Anyway. Anyway, not important to the story. <laughs> yeah. um, he basically sold his first tweet as an NFT. For $2.5 million. So, wow. his first tweet um, was uh, just setting up my Twitter. <laughs> Which is just great. So, he's made his version of the, the original of that tweet. Yes. And he sold the original of that tweet mm -hmm. to somebody. Correct. And then we can we can we could go okay, but we can scroll back through Jack Dorsey's Twitter and see that original tweet. Hmm. But what we're looking at is a copy. Yes. Does that make is right. that is that right? I, I guess so. And I, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I could I could take a photo of that and blow it up on my wall, but mm. I wouldn't own that tweet. You don't have that tweet. So, yeah. so there's someone out there that just wants to flex at a party that they go to when they're yeah. talking to someone at a bar and go, hey, mm. you know that Jack Dorsey guy? I own his first tweet. Yeah, that's mine. Honestly, if you had a ton of money, it would be very cool to have a huge <laughs> blow up of the first ever tweet. That's the great. The first ever tweet. And Isn't people will be first... like, wow, that's so cool. And you'll be like, you know what? I own that. That's mine. I didn't just download that off the internet. 
It's mine, baby. I own it. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, man. That's like the ultra flex. I mean, everybody, you'd be like, yeah, that's mine. And everyone would just be like, dude, I don't care. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> no one cares. Great. Good job. Yeah. Uh, but that this kind of talk about NFTs is, is leading us into an actual news story that I wanted to talk about. Right. I think we needed to go through that uh, that kind of baseline understanding first, probably for my own sake, to be perfectly honest. Um, where is it here? Uh, the news story on Thursday, okay, a digital collage of hundreds of weird, brightly colored images made by South Carolina artists known as Beeple sold at the prestigious Christie's auction for $69.3 million. The staggering price is the third highest ever for a work by a living artist, second only to pieces sold by art world giants Jeff Koons and David Hockney. Wow. So we have a record NFT buy and 69.3 million. That is a lot of money. I have to go and see. You have what to look at it. Like. Yeah. It's it's literally um a, a collage. As it says here, it's a collage of smaller images made by this I think it's I think the image is made up of it's a collage of people's other artwork. I think he's just kind of stitched them all together. So how crazy is that? You've already made all this art and you just stitch it together as a collage and then you sell that $69.3 million later. <laughs> yeah, that's the insanity, right? Then yeah. then we, you got to come back to the real world eventually yeah, and realize, what are, you, what are you buying? Well, what, what are you, you buying? What are you yeah, do, exactly. What are you $69.3 million. Yeah. And I mean, I, I know people do appreciate, there is obviously a huge area of appreciation for art that mm. I clearly have. Yeah, no I we yeah, we were talking about earlier, um, in that article, it mentions two of the biggest uh, artists or painters that are alive right now. And we, I have no idea who they are. <laughs> we didn't know. Like, not even the, the number <laughs> one. Like, if you think about, like, the amount of fields of different things like sport and stuff and the number one person in those fields. Yeah. We probably know the number one mm. in quite a lot of fields. Yeah. Like the the CEOs of the biggest companies and yeah. uh, the number one sports. Even like Brady or, you Yeah, know, the greatest uh, athlete LeBron. in each of those yeah, yeah areas. But, yeah, art is one that I know nothing about. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, even I just cannot get around the idea of paying $70 million for mm. a digital or physical piece of art. Yeah. Unless you just had a ton of money yeah. and you didn't so know what to do with it. It's so... I just... I can't wrap my head around the idea of these artworks being... Collect, like, digital artwork being collectible. Just because it's it's that... I mean, it makes sense because like how we have the Mona Lisa and you make a print of the Mona Lisa and a lot of people own the print, but only one person owns the original or it's mm. in some museum, wherever it is. Is it in the Louvre? Yes. Yeah, right. Um, hope it's still there. Hope it's there. Yeah, <laughs> I hope it's there. <laughs> Call the police. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just still so hard for my mind to understand yeah. that this could be a thing that people are willing to... Because uh, it's essentially like a collectible. That's the whole idea of the NFT is to yeah. make, you know, I own the original. It's like a collect, yeah, like baseball cards or something. I own that card. I don't just own a print. You could photocopy a baseball card, but I own the baseball card. Mm. It's just so hard for my head to wrap around the idea that people are interested in owning the original of a of a digital art mm. where it's a, a digital work of art where it's just like, well, you can get literally the exact same 
piece of art off yeah. of Google Images. Maybe I'm just like a slightly less definition. Yeah, it's it's very hard for me to wrap my head around the art part of it. I was trying to think of, and we were talking about before, some maybe some other applications of this, and we were discussing whether you could possibly use uh, use uh, use code as a as an NFT or co- yeah. have code as an NFT. Um, and if that was the case, then there could be a significant use case for having this decentralized ledger where you can see intellectual property, who owns certain pieces mm. of code or software. And that I think could be very, very valuable to mm. have a, a basically a decentralized uh, ledger, really yeah. just, just a, basically a thing where you can check who owns what intellectual property and mm. there's <clears throat> no dispute to be sense. had over that. Logically, I think that's the way it's going to go because yeah. you think about what what's what's valuable that's digital. And at, at the mm. moment, we're looking at these NFTs and we're talking about people stitching artworks together. But I mean, like when it comes to digital assets, what's really valuable when it comes to digital and and it's pieces of code. Yeah, code is what's really valuable. Um, data. Yeah. Um, that's what you know the world is running off of code, mm. data collection, that sort of thing. Mm. So yeah, who who knows where this leads? But it's um, like a lot of people are saying that uh, you know it's crazy, and I kind of I kind of side with them. Is that you know six, spending sixty nine point three million dollars on a piece of digital art when you can just go get it off Google Images seems crazy. But I think once you un- once you understand the idea of what it's trying to do and what it could potentially be applied for. Maybe it makes a little bit more sense, but hmm. in the early days when we're looking at this and someone's just bought a digital piece of art for $69 million, it's like, what the hell? This is stupid. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, certainly if you take it from an investment standpoint, which is where a lot of this demand is coming from, people yeah. buying these little digital artworks and or images and, and then trying to flip them um, mm. as they go from being $10,000, dollars $50,000, yeah. $100,000, that's where... Uh, it's the end of the line for me. It's yeah. not a space where I think you could... It's speculation, isn't it? It's pure <clears throat> speculation. And uh, I mean, yeah, like every speculative bubble, there'll be periods where mm. people are jumping in and the prices of these digital assets are just flying up. Mm. Um, well, anything... But... anything. Sorry to butt in. Anything mm. non, uh, non-cash producing... Yeah, non-cash producing mm. is speculative, right? Because you can't predict what it's going to be. You're just trying to... What's the saying? Give it, you know, hope that some fool pays more than what you bought it for in the, in the future. Yeah, unless it has some underlying utility, like yeah. it's a commodity that is use has a use case. That's and yeah, of course. Then, then in in that way, I can see it. But yeah, then if you're talking about art or um, cryptocurrency or, or gold, gold, which has a use case, but it's mm. very small relative to what gold is typically used for, which yeah. is a store of value. Yeah. Then yeah, you're just hoping someone pays more for it, and there's no way you can actually know whether someone will pay more for it yeah um that's and, true and that's, and that's scary that's where it's the end of the line and to be fair that's the case for me when i'm investing when i'm looking at most cash producing assets like for most cash mm. producing assets they produce cash but i don't know reasonably what i'm going to get back from them so i put that almost in the same camp as assets that don't produce cash because if i can't right. predict what i'm going to get out of those businesses then Mm. I can't figure out what to pay for it. And it's the same, uh, yeah. it's the same end, even mm. though some business businesses produce cash, cash flow and, yeah. and, and these digital assets don't. But Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I wanted to, this actually leads us into a second bit of news story. So we spoke about that first bit of news on this NFTs about the, the ex- extreme, you know, price of that uh, collage. Mm. But another interesting thing 
that has is now popping up because it seems to be in some speculative bubble where you know you could you know we should turn this McDonald's cup into an NFT, we'll take a picture of it, and someone <laughs> will pay us a million dollars for it. Um, artists are now starting. You know, originally it was designed. Okay, artists were getting on board because like, oh my gosh, we can actually earn some money from making artwork now. This is fantastic. <laughs> it's just you know always the problem with art. We've is- waited two thousand years for this. <laughs> <laughs> We've waited literally forever for this. Artists can now make money. Are you serious? But now a, a thing that's popping up is that people are stealing um, art hmm. to turn real people's art, digital art into NFTs. So it's like hmm. NFT scam. <laughs> oh, wow. So if you like did a little Photoshop over there, I'd like hack your computer, take your, your little artwork off you and say it's mine and then sell it for however much I can get. So that's an interesting thing that's popping up. Wow. That's a, uh... already there, there is theft, <laughs> theft in the system. Yeah. It's so strange. Mm. I mean, it goes so deep. I've done some research on NFTs and cryptocurrencies and I just always feel like I don't know like 1% of, of, of what there is to know. Yeah. And I always I always use the analogy of, of to crypto or to AI or to these NFTs now to like the internet in the early 90s. Like no one even knew what it was going to become. Yeah. People kind of had a vague idea. Okay, so I can do instant communication mm. to, across the world. But you had no idea that there would be something like the movies moving online. Yeah, so you have and, yeah. thousands of movies yeah. accessible immediately mm-hmm. um, or, or anything along those lines. So mm. it start, it's always the way it starts out and people are like, yeah, I don't know about that. And then people, uh, you know, look at this use case and then they don't think big enough of, okay, what can the underlying technology do for people? What can it become? That sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean... I'm not going to, like, I would not pay $69 million for a piece of artwork, but I'm not going to throw shade at people that do because you never know. Maybe they're the geniuses that think that, you know, that understand the NFTs are the big next big thing um, on the blockchain. So, who knows? Yeah. Who who knows? Yeah. Um, what should we talk about next? We should talk a little bit about what happened with the Fed this week. Um, so, we've got a little bit of Fed news and then we can kind of relate that to, to what happened to the US markets last night as well. Um, but Jerome Powell, the chair of the Federal Reserve, he released another video statement. So, he did a little he did a little YouTube video. He uh, Did he? No, it wasn't on YouTube. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like a YouTube. Hey guys, it's Jerome here. Yeah, <laughs> out on my daily vlog. <laughs> Interest uh, rates are still zero. That'd be hilarious. No, so um, yeah, he basically was announcing that they're continuing to, to hold interest rates at at the range of zero to zero point two five percent, and he kind of gave some, uh, I, I guess, uh, their their opinion on on what they think is happening in terms of inflation and and jobs and that sort of thing, and, mm. and what they're planning on doing in the future, which is now really what the Fed does. They just kind of publicly tell people what they're going to do, and and yeah. that seems to influence the market more <laughs> than what they actually do. Yeah, which is an interesting thing. It's bizarre. They kind of figured out that people don't really care what the fed does they well they do but they care more about what the fed says what they say they're going to do exactly yeah because it everyone's working on these expectations which yeah. is kind of a funny thing <laughs> it's it's bizarre because you're exactly right it was like um when they came out and said oh we're going to keep interest rates low for like the next three years to help this mm. coronavirus recovery 
then the markets were just like, oh, yes. And just like, yeah. there's no co- confirmation. This was like a press conference or something. He literally just said that off the cuff or whatever. And then mm. markets just went, all right, we'll take that. <laughs> yeah, take it and run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's pretty insane. Yeah. So in this video, he basically said a couple of things. Uh, one thing he said was that we should expect short-term inflation. Um, and the reason why is now that we're moving into March, April and May, we're going to start to see comparisons um, for the for the year over year inflation from the early onset of the pandemic. And right. um, basically on the early onset of the pandemic, there was a significant amount of deflation as there was a, a, oh, okay. a quite a drop off in, in consumer spending in, in quite a few areas, particularly in travel right. um, and yep. services. I think he mentioned that uh, product inflation was was there was still product inflation, but the deflation was significant in services, which kind of makes sense because a lot of services require you to gather around other people, um, which is kind of where a lot of the restrictions were, mm. were happening. But because there was deflation in the early onset of the pandemic last year, we're now going to be seeing a comparison year over year of that, which we've oh. seen for the first time starting March and then yeah. April and then May. Um, so we should expect to see some inflation. I think it was 2.4%, I think he said, would be um, what is expected. Yeah. So Because it's yeah, it's calculated off of the last 12 months added together. Right? Yes. And then he went on to basically say that um, there were also supply chain issues that may produce inflation. So we've seen this, I, I haven't seen this, um, I haven't looked into this too much, but you can, there, there's just a lot of industries that are um, suffering from shortages. I mean, one example that I just think of right now is the fact that they couldn't even pr- produce enough PlayStation 5s, yeah. right? Um, Sony couldn't get their production out. And that's the case with a lot of businesses at the moment. Mm. Um, and a lot of that gets passed on to consumers when right. there's supply chain problems and prices increase for businesses, they pass that on. Mm. Again, he thinks these are going to be short-term problems. Okay. Um, and uh, as a result, he doesn't expect that there will be consistent high inflation, although we should expect it um, over the next year. So mm. as in a rise in the inflation rate, rise well. in the inflation rate oh, okay. beyond, um, I guess what is reasonable. So their target at the moment is 2%. And I think that's the RBA in Australia's target as well. Mm. Everyone's kind of the, the big nations have kind of agreed like that two to 3%, two to 3% is, is prime for, for economic growth. Yep. Um, but, uh, they expect to get into that range, but they don't expect to exceed it massively. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, I don't know if I can add too much to that because I'm a bit of a dum-dum when it comes to all this sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah it, it is interesting what you, what you say is that you, you might see an increase in the numbers, but you should really... This is what we we're talking about, I think, last week. You should actually break down why that's the case. Mm. I remember we were talking about the Australian inflation rate, how we had that period of deflation. But mm. when you actually broke it down and had a look, okay, why are we in deflation? I was like, oh, because the government's subsidizing this. So that eliminates that little bit. And the petrol prices fell out of the sky. Um, so that caused deflation over there and no one's traveling. So it was like three things which went bang, bang, bang. And I was just yeah. like, oh, now we're in deflation. So I think it's just a, a message of this is what we might expect because it's the last 12 months because we're ticking that that range forward is we'll see the if we had deflation all the way back here, we're going to see that rise in the inflation rate. Yeah, from here. So we just have to yeah. try and break it down, I guess, and understand why that is. Yeah. But I think you've explained that really well. Yeah. And I mean, it does make sense why you could argue that we could see just short-term inflation. It makes a lot of sense that a lot of businesses are going from very low production, not all businesses, but a lot of them are going from very low production last year to now having to ramp back up. And that takes time. 
And yeah. as they have a limitation on their production, prices will go up so that they can meet that gap. But mm. then as their production gets back to normal levels, say like over the next year or so is, is what the Fed suggests. Right. Uh, that's when price competition will come back in and prices will actually come back down. But all okay. of this is said with... No one really knows yeah. what's going to happen. I don't, I, don't, I don't listen to this and go, okay, let's put this in my models. Like it seems like half the fun or most of the fund managers do. They mm. they listen to this and they go, okay, let's put that into the model. Okay, 2.4% mm. inflation this year. Let's see how that affects our I tell you modeling. what, to be honest, I would not like to be an investor that focuses on those things at all. Yeah. Like, I'm so glad that when we with our investing it's just like okay sure the market could be doing this just bouncing (laughs) wherever inflation could be here or there and you know they could Mm. be printing money or whatever you know there's a lot of things that could be happening but at the end of the day as you know just two guys that are trying to make some money and invest in some good businesses it's always just like okay well that really that stuff doesn't matter it's more about well it matters slightly because this stuff has an impact on the businesses we end up looking at but it's really more fundamentally about how is the underlying business performing is it still are the you know growth rates looking good is is the expected cash flows over the next 10 years still looking promising and you know in in a lot of ways people that get caught up in the macro they might go oh my gosh you know shit's in the fan hmm. and i might go okay i'm not gonna i'm i'm staying out whereas for us we're looking at these individual businesses these cash producing machines and if something happened in the macro which we see is short term hmm. and that causes the share price of the company that still looks fantastic to plummet then we're like oh okay short term event they're going to recover. Underlying business is great. It's a market-wide event or it's a macro event, but we still like the business. Then it's like, oh, you beauty. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually what we're looking for. I was I did a video about Monish Pabrai the other day mm. and he said something like, um, you know, what, what you're really looking for is you're looking for great businesses. And then on top of that, you're looking for some sort of market-wide event or some sort of industry event or some sort of company-specific event that's short-term to absolutely beat the share price to a pulp. Mm, right. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for a great company first and foremost, and then just sit on that company and wait until something comes along and whacks it in the face. Yeah. And then that's when you buy. Yeah. It's so simple. It makes sense. Yeah. Doing Going through our approach or Warren Buffett's principles, you kind of want volatility in absolutely. a way. Absolutely. You want stocks to move a lot so yeah. that you can, so that there's a lot of um, inefficiency in mm. the market. Um, the reason why you would care deeply about macro is if you're short-term investing. Because yeah. if you're investing over, say, like if, if you need to get money in and out over the next three years, like you can't invest in a stock that will be down in three years, yeah. then what the macroeconomic environment looks like matters significantly. Whereas if you've got mm-hmm. a 10-year horizon or in the best case, we're looking for businesses that we can just hold for our life, mm. then that business is going to be going through many different types of economic conditions. And if you're investing long-term, you have more time, if it's a really good business, for the management to adapt to that new situation. Mm. Um, For example, if you had like a a retail business that had a lot of entry-level employees and there is a minimum wage increase, uh, then immediately in the next couple of years, that's going to have a significant impact on their profitability. Long-term, it doesn't matter. They can adapt their operations. They can become more efficient over time. But if you're looking to make money on that stock, if that stock needs to be higher, more profitable in the next 12 months, then who gets elected matters. Mm. Um, What policies they put in place matters. These macro things matter. Um, 
and another reason why you would care about um, macro stuff like Ray Dalio does is he's trying to build a portfolio for the uber wealthy who don't want volatility. They don't want to see their portfolio drop 50%. They would rather sacrifice, and this is kind of Ray Dalio's or weather portfolio, Mm. they'd rather sacrifice that extra 1% or 2% return so that their portfolio doesn't go down very much. Consistency. When there's... Yeah, so there's consistency. So each kind of, they have broad diversification. So um, they kind of capture where the money flows. If it flows out of the stock market into bonds Mm. or out of the stock market into gold, he kind of gets a little bit of a balance of that. So yeah. Now, I agree with what you're saying. Absolutely. Um, Volatility, a lot of people would look at volatility and go, oh, the stock market, I don't want that to be volatile. I want that to just slowly go up over time. But you're right. If 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 you can understand a business properly and you can feel confident in in predicting uh, the intrinsic value of it, mm. then you want, you want it. You, I'd like extreme volatility. Mm. You know, I would love it if, you know, we're looking at like a company like Facebook and the shares drop 50% and then go up by 300% and then mm. drop another t- like uh, 80% or something like that. Yeah. It's like, I would love that. That would yeah. be fantastic because yeah. if it's going like this and we know where its value is, when it goes like that, we can go, yes, please. Mm. And when it goes up to the sky, we can go, all right, thank you very much. We'll take yeah. our profits. And then we can just keep doing that. And I think that's what Phil Town says a little bit as well, yeah. is that when it comes to the stock market or looking at individual businesses, you want volatility because the more it goes down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, is mm. the more chances you get to buy and the more chances you get to sell as well. So it's yeah. just like, okay, I'll repeat this process. Yeah. <laughs> It really does come down to temperament because absolutely, and everyone kind of lives within a certain range of temperament as well. Because mm. I know personally, maybe if if a stock I own that I'm very confident in goes down 50 or 60%, I'm very happy to buy it. I know that if it went down 95%, I don't know if I would be confident to get back in. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, a, there's a limit to where you're like- It'll make you crap yourself a yes, little bit. <laughs> but for other people, it's 10%. They yeah. 10% and they crap themselves and they sell out of all their stocks. So yeah. I feel like people live within a different range and and you can, you've you got to try and be in a, in a sweet spot where you do a lot of research so you're very confident. You're not just buying a business as mm. it's going down regardless. Yeah. Um, but you also, you need to have that temperament to, yeah. to know that if you've done the research, markets can be inefficient. I they think, can get it wrong. Yeah, I think in all honesty, you touch on a good point. The, I think the most important thing in stock market investing is to have the right temperament yeah i think you can be you know dumb as anything okay and you can still do extremely well in the stock market if you have the right temperament and i think that's like one of warren buffett he says it a bit more eloquently than how i just put it (laughs) um yeah he's, he's something like um you know uh, a fool with a plan can beat, you know, a genius without a plan or something like that. It's mm. all about like understanding your plan, having that temperament and just only, you know, only act, not, not acting on a whim and actually acting, you know, um, rationally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but yeah. Do we have anything else to talk about with the Fed? Um, no, that was just about it with the Fed. The only other thing I wanted to touch on was the, what the stock market did last night, which again, oh, I mean, that's it's, not, right. it's not a huge thing. How much money did I just lose overnight? <laughs> Well, a how lot. Much, how much money do you have in Tesla? <laughs> oh gosh! You know the funny thing is with stocks, and this is the, the by definitely the 
the first time I've ever experienced it. The stocks that go up on you like 10x, mm. it's like you don't put that much in. And then obviously if something goes up 10x, it's like, wow, this is a substantial amount of my portfolio now. So yeah. people are always like, oh, how much money do you have in Tesla? And I'll say, you know, this amount, but mm. that's not how much money I put into Tesla. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, you some rich genius, you rich kid, <laughs> you putting this amount into Tesla. It's like, well, no, actually I put, a tenth of that into tenth. Yeah. That's just the way the stock market goes. Very lucky. Very lucky that speculative stocks sometimes turn out. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. Uh, but what happened? What happened with uh, the the good old NASDAQ? Yeah. So, I mean, so that that Fed kind of uh, Jerome Powell's little YouTube video. I don't know why I'm calling it a YouTube video. <laughs> I, I, like just, it. I just like the just idea run that... With it. He's his got, TikTok. He's, he's got a channel with like 12 subscribers or something. No, like, Jerome hey Powell was like, he's on TikTok and he was like, hey, guess what? I lowered the rate. And <laughs> just something crazy like that. <laughs> you just can't get that out of your head now. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, that was a little YouTube only moment. If anyway, you're listening on Spotify, you're going to have to yeah, go watch that one. <laughs> head over. You're missing out. Right. You're missing out. <laughs> All right. Focus. Focus. What are we talking about? Yeah, Back so on track. so that Fed news thing came out a few days ago, and the market roared after that. It went right. up a ton. It was crazy. I think my oh, my portfolio was up massive that Cha-ching. day. It was <laughs> it was uh, I mean good in some ways, but obviously we want to see stocks come down. Yeah. But then last night it was there was a big sell off. So okay. Um, it was mostly in tech. Um, and the reason why was the U.S. ten-year Treasury yield continued to rise. It's been going up quite consistently for a while now it's now at 1.7 percent which is kind of crazy to say yeah like, it's been going up and now it's at 1.7 percent yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> like, talk to me when it's at eight percent yeah people are panicking yeah exactly <laughs> but um yeah. yeah so whenever u.s yields go up typically that hurts growth stocks more and right. the reason why is quite interesting so first of all um the the 10-year US Treasury yield is used in as the risk-free component in valuation. So yeah. um, a key part of valuation is to compare your uh, what you're investing in, the cash flows of the business or the profits of the business to what you could achieve if you had just invested in a risk-free investment, which theoretically doesn't exist, but the closest thing to something that is yeah. risk-free Unless is what the United States of America defaults. Goes, yeah, defaults. Which is... Arguably impossible because they can print money. Yeah. So because they control their currency. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, things could get bad, but they couldn't go flop on their belly, right? No. I mean, yeah. they could print money, and the inflation could outpace the return you get. Yeah. So the real return is terrible or, or negative. Yeah. But they can't really default on it. So we call that the risk-free um, alternative to investment, and that's yeah. kind of part in valuation. And how valuation works, of course, is you're projecting future cash flows and then discounting them. So for businesses that have significant future cash flows compared to their present cash flows, i.e. growth companies where most of the cash the business you're going to get back from the business is far into the future, for those businesses, they're much more sensitive to changes in that discount rate, which a major part of that is the U.S. Uh, treasury yield for for a lot of funds. Mm. Um, so that happened overnight. There was a slight increase, and it basically it well it did significant damage to a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of tech businesses. I just broke down a couple here of the big ones that How I saw. How much has my poor old Tesla been hit? Tesla's been hit by negative or down seven percent. Ouch! Um, so that's a big drop. Ooh. Amazon was down three point five percent. Apple was down three point four percent. Which Apple's an interesting one to be in there. I know it is a tech company, but 
I mean, I guess people do have big growth <clears throat> expectations for Apple still, yeah, right? still. What is it? Which is, is the second largest company in the world at the moment? Yeah. Third or something? Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. And, and they've got a <laughs> pretty significant valuation, I think. Maybe 40 times current earnings or 35 times yep. current earnings or something. So, yep. yeah, they all fit into that category. And of course, any business that doesn't produce any cash now, meaning all of the cash you're expecting to get out of that business is three years down the road or Somewhere five years down the road, uh, they're going to be very, very sensitive to these changes. Right, um, okay. And uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of makes you think, right? The the, tr- the yields went from, I think it was 0.6% to, well, sorry, 1.6% to 1.7 and Tesla comes down 7%. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. You're making me want to sell my stocks here. Hamish. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not telling you to do anything. <laughs> you, you enjoy the ride. <laughs> I'll enjoy the ride up. And I'll enjoy the ride down. <laughs> yeah, but it, it does kind of make you think. Like, if there's no inflation, everything's going to be fine. But if there's inflation, and typically what happens is if there's inflation and people hold treasuries, they sell those treasuries to get a greater yield on them because why would you hold a 1% mm. treasury? Why would you hold a 1.7% treasury if inflation's 3%? Mm. You're losing 1.5. You may as well take it out, yeah. which means you're going to sell it. And then those yields will go even higher yeah. uh, and you'll look for a, a, an alternative investment and mm. that will further increase the yield and put even more downward pressure on stocks. So mm. that's, that's kind of the concerns that was, is kind of what we saw last night is if people think inflation is going to be higher in the future, even in the short term, uh, it's going to cause those yields to go up and stocks to come down. So, okay. Yeah. My gosh, you are very smart on these sort of... T- this is where my where I start to fall apart on this sort of stuff. This is just so... Bonds and treasury yields. I'm just like... Yeah, and, and look, to be honest, like this is all just like... This is all just like corporate finance, university stuff. Yeah, but at the end of the day, as I said with the, with the inflation stuff, nobody knows what's going to happen. Like, yeah. it's not like I, I read this and maybe I understand what influences stock prices, but I have no idea what the yield is going to do. Mm. So there's nothing I can kind of work with there. Someone like Ray Dalio will argue he knows how, you know, his research knows where the yield is going to go, but mm. um, that's not something I, I'm very uh, confident in being yeah. able to do. So we'll nope. see what happens, but yeah. Yeah. It, so there you go. Yeah. Very interesting. So yeah, some stocks getting hammered. My poor old Tesla tech stocks coming off. Oh my gosh, the US Treasury yield has yeah. risen. Oh. The, the funniest thing that happens when there's a, a day like this, especially after you know the last two weeks have just been straight up. Mm. A day like this will happen and there's a ton of videos out. Buy yeah, the dip. Was, buy the dip. I was, was going to say the same thing. It's time to start. You start seeing those yeah, thumbnails yeah. on YouTube where it's yeah. like, what am I doing in the stock market crash? Tesla down 10%. Are Is, you buying the dip? Yeah, Are buy you? the dip. Yeah, exactly. Even though you right. could have bought it for cheaper two weeks ago. Yeah. Are you buying the dip? Yeah, it's just like what what can I put in this thumbnail to make you click on it? Yeah, I don't care if it's if it's BS. Yeah, I I made a video on that once. How a lot of people's strategy is buy on red days, and I made a video just saying that just makes zero sense. No, it's completely irrational. It doesn't matter. You could be buying on a green day where the stock is undervalued, or 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 buying on a red day where the stock is overvalued. So. Which one's better? That's you want to buy on a red day after the stock's gone up 100% or yep. do you want to value it, figure out what it's worth and then buy it before it goes up 100%? Yeah. I'm in the first camp there. But yeah. 
Yeah, that's that sort of thinking is stupid because if yeah. you looked at like the S and P five hundred, and you wanted to buy on a red day, and let's mm. say you even just smoothed out the line of the S and P five hundred, it would yeah. be buy 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 buy. Oh no, sorry, it would be the opposite. It'd be don't buy for forever, and then there'd be one day where it'd go down a little bit, and then you'd be like, okay, buy, and then that's buy. Yeah, yeah, and and it turns out if you yeah bought it like two months ago on that green day, you would have done so much better. Yeah. Good old Green Day. What a band. <laughs> um, guess how long we've been talking for? How long have we been talking 45 for? minutes. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is going to be a long one. It is going to be long. Yeah. Do you want to get into some uh, some questions? Yeah, we should. Um, for, for, for not very much to talk about, we have really stretched this out. You need to do this more often. Yeah. I need to come to Canberra. It's so easy just to, yeah. to talk for, for longer when we're, when we're talking in person. Um, all right. What should we, uh, what should we talk about? Hmm. Let's pick out. So we've got a lot of Q and A questions. Yes. So let's just, uh, rattle through a few of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, um do you want to, do you want to pick one? Yeah. I'll start with this one from, uh, James. It's at the top. Okay. Oh, fourth from the top. Um, hi guys. Great work on the podcast. Thank you very much. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, makes the long drive go a little bit quicker. Keep up the good work. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Um, bit of a lighter question. At what stage will you guys be too old to be called the Young <laughs> Investors Podcast? Really serious question here. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Well, for me, it's probably pretty soon. Um, you got a few more years. How old are you? I'm 23. Oh, 20- I will be 23. You will be 23. Yeah. When do you turn 23? June. June. Okay. Yeah. And I just turned 26. Yeah, 26. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so probably we can probably uh, run with the Young Investors Podcast for until we're 30 shortly. Mm. If if you're in your twenties, you're young. When does middle age start? That's not. There's like, what is your thirties? <laughs> I'm gonna look this up because I have no middle idea. Middle age. I would middle guess age forty five. Middle age is the period of age beyond young adulthood, but before the onset of old age. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, most sources place middle adulthood between the ages of forty-five to sixty-five. Okay, so we're still right. we're still young until okay. we're forty-five. Okay, so we'll when, take that. when you turn forty-five and I'm whatever, I'll be forty-two, forty-two or something, forty-three. Then, yeah. uh, then we'll call it the uh, the middle-aged middle investors <laughs> podcast. All right, great. I'm glad we got that one sorted. I couldn't think of anything worse to listen to that the, the middle-aged investors podcast. Is you just you, I don't know. You just picture some like weekend warrior footy bloke you yeah. know that's like slightly overweight yeah. balding going did you buy bitcoin today mate yeah yeah you did yeah, yeah. what about tesla did you buy tesla nah nah <laughs> <laughs> oh that is exactly how i imagined the middle-aged yeah. investors podcast going yeah Anyway, sorry. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's move on. What have we got? Uh, uh, let me ask you one. I'll uh, I'll send this one at you. Hmm. Um, good day. Just want to ask how you guys reinvest your capital gains or dividends. Yeah. How do you go about reinvesting? That's a good question. Um, in terms of so, I'll break this down into like my index funds and okay. individual stocks because I do something different with with those two index funds. They're automatically reinvested. So. Yeah. Um, the index funds with Vanguard and iShares. I'm not sure about the iShares one actually, but the Vanguard ones do re- uh, reinvest. Um, so that's just automated. Um, but with individual businesses, I actually take the cash dividends and I just put that as the cash part of my portfolio because okay. I want to be a little bit more selective when when, you when it comes to individual businesses. So right. 
So you don't yeah. want it to just buy at any price. No, and and yeah, that might be controversial, but for me, at least for the bigger positions in my portfolio where I'm getting where I may get substantial dividends from them, mm. they're nowhere near prices where I would be comfortable yep. putting money in. So um, okay. I take dividends in, in the same light as that. Right, um, okay. And I take them as cash. But with that said, I'm, I don't have a dividend portfolio. So it's mm. not as if I'm getting a 3 or a 4 or 5% yield on my portfolio and just dumping it in cash every year. Mm. It's probably 1.5%. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, think what, I think that makes total sense. And to be honest... Um, I don't think any of the individual stocks that I own pay any dividends. So... What have you got? Uh, yeah, no. Um, mainly tech stuff. Yeah, no, no I don't probably think so. not. Yeah, probably not. So, that's not an issue for me at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. ETFs, you're thinking passive investing. So, you just like buy, 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 buy. So, yeah. it's just like, oh, I'll just keep reinvesting dividends. But you're right. If you had a substantial position in, you know, an Amazon, say Amazon paid a dividend, they don't, but um, you you might look at the price and go, okay, I've got this substantial dividend coming in. Uh, I don't want to buy Amazon at 3000 US dollars a share. Hmm. So, I'll just take it in cash and then I'll keep that cash on the sidelines until I get you know, a chance to invest where I want to invest yeah. and then put it in. So that, yeah. that does, that. you know, I don't think that's too controversial. I think right. that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I mean, the other point I think would be important is in the, using that uh, Amazon example, you get the dividend. If it's automatically reinvested, you're, you're just buying more of Amazon. Whereas if you keep it as cash, you can buy more of Amazon at a better price at some point in the future, or you can put that in a different investment. If mm. there is something that True. comes up, that's a, you're not at locked a, into Amazon at a better deal. Um, and yeah, maybe that would change at some, maybe if there was an extended period where the stocks in my portfolio were undervalued and I consistently thought that for, I don't know, like it seemed like it was a year or two years or something, <clears throat> then maybe I would look into um, having the dividends makes auto sense. reinvest um, mm. because then that makes sense because I'm happy for it to go through and, and I save the brokerage. So yeah, exactly. In those cases, yes, but that's just not the case right now. Yeah, um, I think that's a good answer. All right, should we go on to this next one? This one? Yeah. All right. This one. Hey guys, great podcast. My question is related to circle of competence. Uh, if I am wishing to invest in a new segment of the market that I'm currently not familiar with, how much knowledge of the industry would you deem appropriate before feeling confident enough to invest in it? Uh, interested to hear your thoughts. Cheers. Yeah, this is a good question. Really mm. good question. Um, look, there's the the whole concept of analysis paralysis, mm. I think is something that which is interesting to bring up where you quite rightly so want to go so in depth and make sure you really understand it, but you go so in depth that you never make a decision to buy it. Um, but having said that, I mean, if it's a new segment of the market that you're not familiar with, I would not invest in that segment um, for probably a couple of months. Yeah. I don't know about you, um, yeah. But some people say, oh, you know, this this new stock I'm, I'm looking into, I've looked into it for about, you know, a couple of days. Or they say, I've looked into it for a week. Hmm. And maybe they can read 10 times faster than me. Who knows? But for me personally, I would not feel comfortable getting into a new business in a new industry I'm not familiar with until I've really read up on that business and also the other main players in that yep. industry. And for me, like being real and, and actually following the news cycle of that industry, that would take me a couple of months. Yeah. Like truth be told, that wouldn't be a fast process. Yeah. That... Being said, you might, and I, I think, I think it's important never to rush in the market. And even if you, I mean, you might say, well, Brandon, what if you know a, 
this great stock that you think is in a great industry, but you don't really, you haven't studied up too much. What if it just something happens like bang explosion market wide event, and then it goes down and it's like dropped 50% Hmm. and there's pressure on you to buy. I still wouldn't buy until I felt like I was across it. Yeah. And I would obviously try and do my research a little bit quicker and hurry Hmm. myself along, but I still think it would take me quite a substantial amount of time to get up to speed. And maybe this is different for everyone. I mean, you've studied this stuff at university. I'm literally like just a dude that has read some books. (laughs) That's me. And uh, and I'm not not afraid to say it, you know, Um, all of this stuff about economics and finance and stock market investing. Mm. I've just learned by reading, reading books about from, you know, people like Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger and uh, Monish Pabrai and Phil Town and that sort of thing. Um, and for me, it does take me a, a long time because there's still some jargon that I'll come across. I'm like, what the heck is this about? <laughs> yeah. Non-fungible tokens? Yeah, there's constantly <laughs> new things that are coming yeah. out that you, you don't understand. Yeah, I take a very, I'm very slow to, yeah. to get into investments. I think Texas Roadhouse is a good example I started looking into it at the beginning of 2019. Um, and, and keep in mind, I've worked in the restaurant industry for three years, I believe. So okay. I already had a pretty good understanding. I find it fascinating. But at that point, I, I first looked at that company. I first invested in them six months later in June of, of 2019. And it was a very small investment. Like it was a dip my toes in investment. Right. I didn't significantly invest into that company until March of 2020, which is okay. probably what, about 14 or 15 months mm. after I first discovered that stock or first came across that business. Yep. So that's a typical timeline for, for I remember that. how excited you were about making that investment. Too. I was very excited. You were so pumped. It, it's done very You're well. so pumped. <laughs> it has, hasn't it? Well, what, what sort of return, what sort of percentage return would you be sitting on? I'll have on? a look. It's uh, it's like, what, 100%? It's, it's insane. It's a, More a, than that? I think an 80% compounded return. Oh, okay. Since, well, that's, uh, that's impressive. So, yeah. That's impressive. But yeah, long story short, to answer the question, um, yeah, definitely... Um, you need to you need to really understand how that industry works. I think you need to understand what the growth of the industry looks like. Mm. And I would typically do that by looking at the main players in that industry and mm. what they're doing and, and how they've grown. Um, and then you start looking at that individual business that you think might be good. And then you compare it to the big players and you read in depth and think about, you know, mm. what's their roadmap? How are they growing? Um, do I believe they can do it? Are they in a good financial position to make it happen? And then from there, you kind of go, but mm. th- that process is not, it's not quick <clears throat> for me anyway, yeah. for me. Yeah. And I think just one other point on that yeah. over the course of that year, the main question that I'm asking myself and trying to find as much detail in is what is important for the growth of this business mm. and for keeping it competitive? Like yeah. What are the main factors in that industry? And they'll be different for every single mm. industry. For the restaurant industry, it's comparable sales driven by traffic. You yeah. want to see as much traffic as possible because that's your best indicator that people love the food there mm. and that they're coming back. They love the service. They'll keep Everything else is, is, is secondary. Yep. Restaurant businesses can grow by just expanding yep. and they can do that on debt. And it can be a terrible business and their numbers are all growing because they're mm. just expanding. And then they stop expanding because they run out of money and, mm. oh crap, no one's coming through the doors. Yeah. Less people are coming through than last year. Oops. And all of a sudden the business is, is garbage. Yeah. Um, and they can't pay their leases and then they go. That makes so, sense. Um, you Focus need to on the competitive advantage. Figure out what is driving that business. And that can take a while to, mm. to figure out. And yeah, just, just take your time with it. There's no rush. If you find the in- industry interesting, you're going to stumble across it's what it is yeah. eventually. Um, it just through being curious. So mm. 
um, just take your time. Read as much as possible. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Did I ask that one to you? Or did you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You did. You want to do this one about uh, stockpiling? Yes. Uh, if I stockpile into a business for six months, for example, and then want to sell out after 12 months, do all of the shares bought qualify for being owned for 12 months for tax purposes? Or does each batch of shares start the 12 months when bought? Cheers. Um, we got to be careful not to talk about tax too much because we can't definitely can't provide taxation mm. advice. Um, and I'm not a tax professional, so I'm not 100% sure on the question, but I remember when I was talking to my accountant about this and when I was uh, making the, the tax content for Profitful, mm. Um, when it, if you're if you're stockpiling into a business over time, it, this is in Australia too, by the way. So I'm not sure if this listener's in Australia or or or, or international. Mm. Um, but you've got two methods of tracking your shares in Australia. You've got either first in, first out, which is basically always the way it goes. Mm. So you've got to track, you know, when you bought, and you know, if you stockpile over you know, over six months, you got to follow that buy, then that buy, then that buy, then that buy, then that buy. Mm -hmm. And then as you leave, you know, you sell your first, the first sell you make, you know, is the first buy you make kind of Mm. thing. So it's first in, first out. Um, And then if, if, if you don't track it that way, then it's parcels. So if you have, say, Commonwealth Bank and you've owned a parcel of, if you have a big long-term investment in Commonwealth Bank and you've held it for 10 years and then you buy Commonwealth Bank just a little bit and then you sell it, sell the exact same amount like three months later, then you can claim that, no, I was, I bought that little parcel and I'm selling that little parcel and I wanted to leave my long-term investment alone. Mm. But you have to have good evidence to show that. Right. Um, but I, I, I believe... I believe to specifically get to this question, I believe that no, not all of the shares would be lumped together. Even if you stockpiled in over six months, Hmm. you would have for the 12 month tax purpose, it would be, you know, that parcel has it hit 12 months. Then the next parcel has it hit 12 months yet. Hmm. And so I think you'd have to track it like that. However, I would put put a big asterisk next to my answer and say, Please check with your tax professional. <laughs> yeah, I probably shouldn't add anything to that. I think yeah. that's a, as good of an answer. Yeah. yeah. So d- definitely don't take what I just said as gospel. Definitely reach out and talk to your accountant, tax professional, so on and so forth. Hmm. All right. Uh, let's talk. Should we do another one? Have you got a good one? Uh, yeah. How about this one? Um how do you come up with an accurate growth rate of a business for the next 10 years to be able to calculate its intrinsic value? Yeah. Wow. We, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a question that, um, yeah, a lot of people want a nice, simple answer to this question, but there is, there's no easy answer. It's just this this plus this divided by that. Yeah. Yeah. You just, (laughs) you just take the price and then if it goes down 2% that day, you buy, you you buy. Oh dear. No, but there's no easy answer. But this kind of relates to our other question where we were talking about um, uh, trying to identify the key drivers that's that's pushing the business forward and, and making sure you understand a lot about those. Mm. I call those key business indicators. I think they're technically called key performance indicators. KPIs. Like KPIs, yeah. I think, is the... KBIs. The KBIs, yeah. <laughs> Tra- trademarked. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Make an NFT out of that or something. Exactly yeah. right. No, so I try and identify those and you can, you if you do understand the industry very, very well, then, then you would know what those indicators are and those indicators are what you're projecting forward. So mm. I guess we can just continue with the restaurant example. And I really like using restaurants or retail to explain this because that's how I understood it well the first time just a really simple business where there's not too many moving parts right before you go and try and calculate the future cash flows of something like amazon where there's like cloud and this and that and it's like what are the key business indicators but yeah. for something like a restaurant business it's going to be a couple of major things one is what i said before which is comparable store sales so the sales in their existing restaurants you can come up with a projection of what's reasonable for for growth in that if they have a two percent increase in traffic every year and mm. a one percent increase in prices to go along with inflation or whatever you can project that you can also project the number of restaurants they'll be able to open based on how much capital it requires them to 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 build those restaurants Makes how much sense. cash flows they have what debt they'll need and then also just the geographical uh, uh, landscape of, of where they're where they're building so if yep. they're in the united states they've got a lot of space to, to grow but um that you know or if they're going international they've got tons of space to, to grow mm. you've got something like a starbucks which has 32 33,000 stores globally yep. mcdonald's is up there as well 20 plus thousand yeah but you know if, if you're trying to start a big grocery mm. chain here in australia there is the limit to the market size yeah exactly right like grocery stores is one where they really don't build new grocery stores mm. anymore. Um, it's kind of, you've got, to, you've got to understand the industry and, and where the density is, is on yeah. that um, and, and what room there is there. And then there'll be something like restaurant margins or, or retail margins and then cash flow margins and that sort of thing. Yeah. But I'm simply just projecting those things and I'm being very, very safe in my projections. So even if I think they can build 300 new retail locations over the next 10 years, I might project 200 or mm. something like that. Um, and the other thing I do is I always project a range. So I won't just pick a sp uh, 300 new retail locations in the next 10 years. It'll be 100 to 300, somewhere in that range. Um, and that will give me a range of future cash flows and therefore a range of intrinsic value. So that's how you go about it. Um, it's a lot easier. It's still not easy, even with something like a restaurant business yeah. to project margins. Even like Texas Roadhouse, they really only have one in terms of food cost the biggest cost is beef of course mm. but other food businesses will have a wide variety of, of commodities that are influencing their costs and mm -hmm. um you know then you even in a restaurant or retail business which is relatively simple on the scale of things uh it, it can be very very challenging so um it, it takes a long time right hence the 15 month wait even on a restaurant business something yeah. like amazon is very difficult to, to value. And most businesses mm. I find impossible to value, honestly. I look at their business- And there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that because there's restaurant businesses. I don't, yeah. need, to, I don't need to invest in cloud computing or, or something very, like that where mm. it's very much up in the air what, what their valuation is. Um, so yeah. That's a very Warren Buffett answer. Yeah. If it's, <laughs> I mean, you're right. If it's, if it's not up your alley or it's too hard, then just put it in the too hard pile. Mm. <laughs> the only thing I just missed, I just realized I was looking at my notes, have a margin of safety oh, on yeah. top of all of that. Even after being safe, even after being conservative and doing yeah, a range, yeah. you're still probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> still still think you... It's true. It's it true. is true. I think one of the biggest killers in stock market investing is people thinking they're right. Yeah. And backing... Yeah. I'm right. Of course I'm right. You know, I read this article. I'm right. I mm. think the people that do well in stock market investing are the people that go, I'm probably wrong. Hmm. So I need to do this and that to account for the fact that I'm probably wrong. Yeah. If you do that, then you do very well. 
if you go through stock market investing and think, nah, 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 that's not going to happen because I know I'm right, you're going to cop it. Yeah. Might not be, you know, you might be right once or twice, but eventually you're going to get complacent and it'll get to a point where you're going to cop a smack in the face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are so many businesses where if you buy them today, everything needs to go right. Everything needs to go Absolutely. right. And I'll do a valuation and it'll be like, oh, okay, stock needs to go down 80%. And people will be like, oh, hey, Mish, you're so stupid. When on, when on earth is that going to happen? Yeah. I said, well, maybe it won't happen, but that's the only place I feel confident on yeah. that business. Or maybe for another business, it's drop 50%. Yeah. Because that's the only place where I'm projecting certain numbers where I would be comfortable. If I projected the numbers required to buy the company today, I'm not comfortable. Yeah. That may happen, but... I'd have to be a genius and the company would have to be, the management team would have to be a genius and they'd go on to, to grow at a ridiculous way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Now, good answer. Good answer, friend. Let's, uh, should we get on to another one? Yeah. Where should we go? Maybe this one below. Yeah. Okay. Have you guys looked into other asset classes? If inflation rises, how do you know whether it's worthwhile switching some money over to bonds, gold, uh, and even Bitcoin? Look, to be perfectly honest, I, I can understand like I can understand why like the rationale behind why people are buying gold and why people are buying Bitcoin and whatnot, especially with all the money printing that's going on. Hmm. But at the end of the day, when it comes, uh, I mean, I got to keep it simple for me because I'm a dumb dumb. But when it comes to asset classes, I like one asset class, and that's cash producing assets. This is going back to what hmm. we we're talking about before. If it's a cash producing asset, if it's a business if it's a rental property, then I can look at what is the expected cash flow and then I can get an understanding of, okay, what would a fair price for those cash flows be? Um, and that's the only asset class that I'm interested in. You can say you're an idiot for not investing in gold or you've missed the train on Bitcoin and how dumb must you look. But at the end of the day, that's the only thing I feel comfortable in buying is something that produces cash and grows over time because then I can figure out obviously the growth and I can mm -hmm. predict, you know, if it's got a long track record, you can look out into the future, say, okay, I think it's going to grow at the, at the historical growth rate, work backwards, figure out, okay, I'd be comfortable with paying this. Um, hmm. so that we can have some sort of confidence in the return that we're going to get on our money. Yep. Um, so that's a boring answer. And I, I know that you, you, you know, a question like this is asking, you know, well, what about, you know, all this money printing and cash is getting devalued and maybe Bitcoin is the answer or at least have some gold. But at the end of the day, that's just not how I know how to invest and it's not how I'm interested in investing. So I just want, I want cash I am a money crazed little shit. <laughs> Remember that part of the start of Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. He yeah. walks in, he's like 20 something years old, money crazed little shit. <laughs> nah, not really. But um, yeah, does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. Or? Yeah. I think, I think people think investing is about catching the right wave and, and, and not missing an opportunity. Investing is really just don't make stupid mistakes. <laughs> it's and, really, really and, yeah. and if you avoid stupid mistakes, and you find something that you think has value that you've really deeply studied, mm. you only need a couple of those and you'll do quite well. Mm. And things like gold, Bitcoin, I mean, it could be a mistake to miss out on them. That's in entirely possible, but I just don't know enough about it to, to dive into it. And uh, I would much rather not go into areas where um, I feel like there's a good chance I could lose. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, okay, let's have a look. Are there any other questions that we could talk about? Hamish, hmm. you finding any? 
Um, we've covered a lot of these. Um, we've covered a lot of that. Yeah, let's do this one. This is a nice, fun question. All right, go. Okay. Uh, here are some questions away from finance and markets. Oh, okay. All right. Tell me, Brandon, how is it being Aussie? Do you f- <laughs> do you feel... <laughs> Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, oi, oi. Do you feel to be far from the rest of the world? <laughs> do I feel like I'm far away from the rest of the world? You know, sometimes I feel like that, but <laughs> yeah. I, f- I definitely feel like I'm far away from the rest of the world when we have to, what, if we want to track what's going on in the US market, we have to wake mm. up, at, you know, some, that we have to right. stay up until one in the morning and then try and execute something by, you know, five or six in the morning. Or yeah. Something like yeah. That. <laughs> All the excitement happens overnight. It and does, then doesn't it? So we up. miss out on that a little bit as it's happening in real time, but it just means yeah. you wake up to a whole bunch of news. Um, that you yeah. can look at, but um, um, I don't know. How does it feel being Aussie? It feels pretty awesome because we don't have much coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the rest of this question is: What do you like uh, of Australia and/or Melbourne? Yeah, I think that's probably that's one pr- thing I'm very, very happy about being one of the being in one of the countries where we handled that situation yeah. very, very well. I mean, it sucked. It sucked having. Well, I really can't talk, yeah. but for you. Being in Melbourne yeah. and copping a lockdown and man, that must have just been demoralizing. But I think that the outcome has been worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and even like, you know, I'll be honest, there was a while during the middle of the, those lockdown months where I'm like, man, this isn't working. Like, just let us out. Yeah. But out the other side of it, it is uh, it is very good that mm. they handled it in that way. Yeah. No, it's been handled pretty well. Um I, this is something, if you're an international viewer, you might find this quite startling, but it, I went to Sydney, um, what, like two, three weeks ago Hmm. and I went on a train in Sydney and that was the first time that I had to wear a mask under some sort of rules or regulations. Wait, what? Because I live in Canberra. So Canberra has had like no COVID really? for, for like, yeah, there's literally been not a case for like nine or 10 months or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I went to Sydney and that was getting on that train was the first time where a rule, a law mm. had, had made me wear a mask. Um, That's because, crazy. yeah, because it, it was advised to help contain a spread of coronavirus or something. That's insane. It's pretty insane. I mean, that's kind of like, yeah. I mean, if that's, and I was talking to Nate O'Brien not too long ago hmm. and I was, he was like, oh, how's COVID over in Australia? And I said, yeah, it's going well. You know, he's like, oh, you getting sick of these masks? I was like, I don't have to wear a mask. <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, nobody in my city has coronavirus. And then he was like, dude, what? <laughs> and he said like, I, I'm pretty sure like five people on my street have coronavirus. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, man. Oh, I do feel sorry for, for the countries that have had such, uh, I mean, we yeah. got to tell it how it is such poor, like just political mismanagement of COVID. Um, yeah. it's, it's been really startling to see and I'm not pointing the finger to any one particular country because there's been a whole bunch of them, hmm. but it is sad to see politics get in the way of effective management of a, of a highly transmissible, transmissible virus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially in the, in the early stage stages, it's very interesting because you have each government doing their own research and mm. there was, you know, people reach conclusions about whether masks were necessary or not. Yeah. And then that kind of consolidates over time. Okay. Yes. Masks actually do help because yeah. it was a long time where there was conflicting information, like genuine mm. information coming out of different governments saying 
yes, they're necessary or they're, I mean, yes, they're good at preventing the spread or, or they're not. Mm. And now it's, it's consensus, right? Yeah. But it's interesting seeing that play out, how like you have yeah, all, the, the all these different opinions and then it, it consolidates and we were fortunately on the right side of that early. Yeah. Whereas other countries had, they got bad, inf- they got bad, uh, bad data, bad yeah. information or whatever it was. Mm. Um, or they just didn't want to do it for, as you said, for political reasons one yeah. way or another. So I reckon yeah. out of all of the countries though, I reckon New Zealand wins. Yeah. I reckon New Zealand has won it in terms of best coronavirus management. Yeah. Good I job. Don't think, yeah. Good job, Tom. Yeah. Well <laughs> Jacinda. <laughs> Prime, Minister, yeah. Prime Minister investing with Tom. <laughs> yeah. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and her top advisor investing yeah. with Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. I mean, New Zealand, That I, I saw a couple months back, there there was like a, a massive festival mm. and there were like heat, like thousands and thousands of people like moshing away and just yeah. partying. And I was like, wait, what about, co- oh wait, nobody there's got no COVID. No one has it. Yeah, no <laughs> one's got it. But anyway, it does, it definitely helps when your country is an island. <laughs> that is That's true. One, when, That's when you point. can, when you can just, you can build walls, but the wall is just the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely certain it's, advantages to that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, which we've seen play out, but anyway, uh, talk about the COVID, uh, COVID podcast. Welcome back everybody mm. to the, to the young COVID podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's one other part of that question. Oh, that sorry. I didn't get Hit to. me. And then we'll um, finish up. After and, then, that. and then we'll finish up. Yeah. Um, uh, what would you have done if you were not a YouTuber or a teacher of business analysis? Um, and, uh, a personal trainer, Brandon, are you still doing personal training? Uh, physiotherapy. Oh, physiotherapy. Um, right. no, I don't, I don't do that anymore. Right. Okay. Um, it got to a point where YouTube was just like, it was just like dangling the carrot, you know, yeah. it's like, you can have this carrot, but you've just got to go all in. I've just got to <laughs> lunge for that carrot. So I yeah. just, I just decided to, to just, you know, you know what? Let's have a crack. Let's go crazy at YouTube. And I just stopped doing the physio altogether. And I was like, let's just mm. go for it. And far out. In hindsight, best decision. Literally, that is the the single best decision I've ever made in my life. Yeah, me, me too. And yeah. I, I, I feel like... Maybe not, but I, I feel like I took a little bit more of a risk because I did it very early. You like did I, it. You did I, it before I did it. Yeah, I did yeah. it very early, um, and I was much, a much smaller. I still am a much smaller channel, but I was a very, very small channel compared to where and you are now. Yeah. I just thought, like, if this is even ten percent of an opportunity that I think it is, I have to just, just go. go I have it. to go at it. Like, I'll regret it if I wait another one or two years mm. and I'm, I, I don't get the same output as what I could have done. Yeah. Um, over that time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Single best decision. If anyone ever asks this, there's no doubt in my mind that that's what it was. Well, what do you think you would have done if you didn't, uh, if you, if you weren't being, a, if you weren't making YouTube videos and running your, your business? Yeah, I had to think about this question. It probably would go one of two ways. Either <laughs> I would be in a different business that, following some of the interests that I have, some of the passion. You'd but, still be running your own But business. into business. Yeah. Either that, that's probably the most likely path mm. I could imagine. Or just something in traditional finance. So okay. going into asset management or something. Right. Something boring like that. So, yeah, that is boring. That is boring. <clears throat> Someone tells you uh, how to invest. In, oh, okay, you need to... You, you, your clients care about the next quarter. So yeah. better get rid of Thor Industries. It's been, chop, chop. It's been down for 18 months now, Hamish. Get it off your books. <laughs> yeah. like, it back, no, believe me, it's going to go okay. <laughs> Trust me, one yeah. more year. <laughs> yeah, and I think I just would have been continued being a physiotherapist, to be honest. Yeah. It was getting a little bit rat racy, though, physio. Yeah. It was getting a little bit rat racy, like just showing up, 
working long hours and just doing the same thing. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad I made the change. Actually, one thing in hindsight now, I really like business. <laughs> business is great. Yeah. Um, if, if you had to go back before university, would you do a business degree? I probably would have done either engineering, I think, or some sort of business degree, mm. I think. But I kind of just like trying to figure it out myself. Yeah. I, I kind of like, you know, yeah. the, the government's just like, get your ABN. And then have at it, go and then fi- <laughs> yeah. figure it out. And- yeah, and look, in all honesty, the Bachelor of, of Commerce it, it doesn't. I wouldn't say it, it guides you in doesn't business you. in any in any substantial way. The marketing is just maybe I'll hurt a few people's feelings <laughs> here, but right. the marketing to me was just a waste of time. Like there was right. at least from what I did, and I only did very early marketing. I didn't right. go on to advance, but okay, compared to what marketing, what I would describe marketing is in in what we do, marketing yeah. ourselves online, it's it was completely irrelevant. Completely but different. Yeah. I, I guess the just the practice of doing maths is probably and accounting was yeah. probably the most valuable thing. But yeah, it is fun, kind of figuring True. out, going out and just and and realizing that you can just make a bunch of decisions and. Yep you won't really know how it plays out until a couple of years later or a year yeah. later and you could go, And I've really yeah. I've really enjoyed not knowing as well because it's made me connect with people um, that I've really valued like mm. I I've had to connect with an accountant and I've had to connect with a lawyer and mm. I've had to connect with these sort of people to pick their brains and to understand the ins and outs of their own profession and how that factors into running a business. Like, mm. you know, what are the legal aspects of running your own business? What are the taxation implications and that sort of thing? Things mm. I just had no idea. So it's been really good in that sense of trying to, you know, smash it out and do it all yourself is that sometimes you hit a roadblock and that forces you to reach out to these professionals that can teach you so much. Yeah. And like, even just working with Scott, my, accountant it's like i know so much about tax now and i was a complete dum-dum before Mm. like i knew nothing at all about tax Mm. until i met him and he yeah it's just been it's been a really good learning experience so i definitely that kind of leads into one more point that i wanted to make you don't have to take the traditional approach to get there you know Mm. um if if, if you want to start a business you don't have to do a business degree i i would Um, even argue if you know you want to start a business before you go to university I would, I would take a gap year and I would yeah. try and do and that. And try and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, don't faff about the, time. Time is money. Kind yeah. Of thing. I mean, particularly if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to start your own business. The commerce degree is not going to really give you much. I think it's right. much more valuable if you want to go into a traditional finance job or traditional marketing yep. and work for somebody else. The only part, as I've always said, is accounting, I think was really valuable for what we do right. specifically, but I would just go True. for it. I would just have at it, it. have at it for a year. And if you really commit yourself for a year, you can get see whether you'll get some traction. You can mm-hmm. kind of figure it out after a year yeah. in, in, in a lot of cases. And then if it doesn't work, you just go to uni. Just, Sounds good. Just, uni. Just, just, just go to uni for four years. You know? Yeah, yeah. Just five go. years, whatever it is. Yeah. But, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I think more people should start their own business, but maybe topic for another day. Yes. Um, well, thanks, guys. Thanks very much for, for tuning in today. Um, this mm. has been fun. Uh, it's just so much better, man. We always say this when we do live podcasts. If only we could do this every week. It I know. It would be so, so good. It would be so good, but we'll have to figure that out for the future somehow. Yeah. Uh, this is a nice little podcast recording studio too. So hopefully mm. the audio sounds crispy fresh. That's mm. uh, partly down to these microphones, partly down to Hamish, who now has to go and edit this whole thing together before it gets into your ears tomorrow morning. <laughs> so excited. Cop that. Whereas me, I'm going to the footy. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> I, t- I tell you, um, I came... 
I'm here down here with a couple of friends. We want to catch some footy games. Mm. Um, we went in because all the tickets were released really late. So mm. they were released like uh, two days ago, mm. um, today being Friday. And we thought, you know, 50% capacity max, that's 50,000 people at the G, that's mm. 27,000 people at Marvel. So mm. we're thinking, ah, uh, you know, if we get tickets to two out of the five games here in Melbourne, then mm. we're going to be doing all right. Mm. We scored tickets to all five. Five, <laughs> all five, and we don't have any sort of fancy memberships or anything. We're not MCC mm. members or anything like that. Not AFL members. We just could not believe it. So this trip, we've definitely got the rub of the green. We've mm. definitely got the luck with us on this trip. So that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> Everything that's... has just been working out. Touch wood. Yeah. But so far, this has just been like smooth sailing. <laughs> yeah. No, that is uh, that's great. Footy, so, footy weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. So I'm very. Ex- I mean, not. Uh, Business weekend. Sorry. This, I'm here strictly on business. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're going to wrap that up and get out of here, guys. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, as 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 we always say, we do, we do appreciate your time and uh, and listening to our ramblings. Yes, and we you. hope that, you know, the live podcast, give us some feedback. Do you like mm. these live podcasts? Do you think they flow better? We certainly think so. Yeah. Um, do you prefer it when it's much more kind of bang, 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 bang? Um, kind of informative of, of the normal podcast but let us know um head over to the youtube version well if you're listening on spotify or you know google podcasts or wherever you find podcasts just mm. give it a try go over to the young investors podcast youtube channel make sure you click subscribe mm-hmm. <laughs> but also check out this uh, this uh this video version of the podcast and we super appreciate it but mm. let's get out of here that's it all right thanks very much guys thank you very much for listening well done, Hamish, on another live podcast. And Thank we'll you. see you guys. Well, you'll hear us next week. <laughs> you <laughs> see won't you see us next week, but you'll hear us next week. <laughs> Goodbye. See you guys.